0: When it comes to creating a successful business, collaboration is key. Collaboration with your core team and collaboration with external partners.
1: If you really are into payments and you're trying to move payments from point A to point B, you need a partner. There's just no question about it. But what I like about payments is there are a lot of different segments of the payments industry that you can operate in that complement the core guys like us, Cash Plus, that do move money. So open banking networks, add-on KYC and KYB services that basically provide fintech services.
0: And if you're trying to build out a new payments platform, you could also find yourself collaborating with another group of people you might not expect, your competition. But that's just how it goes when you're a fintech entrepreneur.
2: One of the reasons I love being part of of payments is that there's so much codependency on each other, even when you're each other's direct competitors, because it, payments is a chain and it breaks on the weakest link. So you need to support each other, you need to collaborate even when you're competing, which makes it, I think, an extra interesting industry
0: This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. In this special three-part mini-series, we're exploring the work FIS is doing by partnering up with fintechs and entrepreneurs to shape the future of the financial services industry. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. And in this final episode of our mini-series, we're finding out how entrepreneurs are making their mark on financial services and discovering how fintech partners are supporting these new advances. We'll find out what the reality is for entrepreneurs trying to break into the fintech industry and learn what it takes to succeed from someone who's already done it and we'll find out which tools, skills, and partnerships are needed to turn an idea into reality and how other startups can put themselves in a good position for investment during this turbulent economic climate. Joining us today on our exploration of entrepreneurialism in FinTech is Senior Vice President of Banking and Payments for Europe at FIS, Sylvia mensdorf puy and CEO and founder of Cash Plus, Rich Wagner. Creating a successful startup in any industry is no mean feat, but to build something new within the payments space involves jumping a few more hurdles. So what is it actually like breaking into fintech?
1: Yeah, 17 years ago, it's getting a little scary because I have been named at some award shows the grandfather of fintech, and I'm getting a little upset that I have been around for maybe far too long. But my career has spanned over 30 years now, and certainly quite interesting to be one of the first mobile banking providers in the UK, one of the first to provide a digital current account in the UK. And although more people will know the likes of the Starlings, the Monzos, those individuals that had hundreds of millions of investment. We've took a different path. So we're probably one of the forefathers of fintech, but probably one of the more unknown fathers of uh, fintech.
0: Excellent. So we're going to be talking a lot about breaking into fintech, partnering, all of that kind of stuff. So for those that are listening right now, what does the startup landscape in fintech look like? We're in a lot of economic uncertainty right now.
1: You know, if we had this podcast five years ago, it was extremely rosy. Low interest rates created a very frothy investor market. Valuations were skyrocketing and, you know, getting initial Series A, Series B funding, I don't want to say was easy, but certainly has transformed in probably the last six months to a year. That's not to put everybody off from starting things, because what I like about it is the fact that you see the greatest amount of entrepreneurship in economic uh, uncertainty. But I think the funding side is the area where you're going to find some challenges if you're in that startup mode, but it's not unusual to see record number of companies that are formated during this period and record number of innovations that are done because people have moved from a traditional job in a larger organization and taken an idea that's kind of sat at the side of their desk and really Grabbed hold of it, knowing that they may need to do it, not just want to do it as a side hobby. So there's a glass half empty, glass half full view of the world as we move into it today.
0: So you mentioned that in an economy like we have now, there's not as much focus on the investors or investors aren't writing as big checks, right? So has the focus changed? How has the
1: focus changed? I do think the mind shift of investors has gone from give me market share, give me revenue, and we'll figure out how to monetize later, to the path to monetization and a sustainable business model is becoming more forefront in the minds of the investor. They are certainly becoming more rational around ensuring there is a solid business case toward a path of profitability. And for the big names out there that have done revenue at all costs, you can see the narrative coming from kind of their investor relations talking about accelerating their path to profitability. They all talked about, oh, we could be profitable. We're just investing more so we can expand more and faster. And I think the patience of investors have shortened certainly in the last 12 months to say, okay, well, that's fine. But Prove it to me and stay there for a while. And then we'll look at the next phase of growth once you've validated the profitability and sustainability of your idea or the company itself.
0: It sounds smart and mature, (laughs) actually.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, you've seen, you know, the significant downgrades of some of the big fintechs. It was irrational. We had the dot com bubble in 1990, for those of us that are old enough to know. And, this isn't anything different than that. It got to a bubble. It really was a feeding frenzy where money was cheap and ideas were free and people were basically laying bets down a lot knowing that if the multiple stayed where they were, they didn't need to prove that much success to continue to see higher and higher valuations and thus it just fed on itself over the course of the last four to five years and really fed on itself in the last you know 24 to 36 months where now we're basically ups the world environment has put the brakes on and we're now moving into a different phase of the economic cycle
2: cash is no longer free and you actually have to show profitable growth not buy growth so i think from an fis perspective the the whole situation is interesting fis has been around for almost 50 years and You know, I used to joke with people when fintech became fashionable. It's like buy now, pay later, like as if we hadn't done that for many, many, many years, but now we have a term for it. Same goes for fintech. And so FIS is a fintech at heart, but we're the fintech of fintechs. And it's really interesting to see how the economic outlook has changed, making sure that you provide profitable growth and sustainable growth has become a lot more important. But on the other side, finding the right fintechs to invest in and partner with. So from an FIS perspective, we have our own investment fund and we look to sponsor and, and invest into some of the ideas out there. We're going to keep doing that. And one of the things I have only been at FIS two years. And for such a large company, I do find that FIS is actually quite capable of maintaining entrepreneurism within their walls as well and driving new ideas and giving those place. And I think that's always a big challenge for large companies. And that is one of the things that makes it exciting to be part of FIS and also to partner with Cash Plus as as part of that. That's wonderful.
1: Do you want to Add anything to that, Rich? I think the infrastructure that FIS provides, there's a lot of great innovation in payments. But there's a lot of old infrastructure, and I've got the American accent, so I understand the payment infrastructure in the U.S. and North America, the infrastructure in the U.K. and Europe, and it's perverse. You know, U.S. is talking about faster payments now, and they're going to get it in in the next you know 12 months. And I'm sitting here in the U.K., and we've had it for 20 years. And actually, there's a lot of – infrastructure that's needed, that's a baseline that FIS does provide that no one really wants to do because it's the boring but important stuff that if you don't have it, you can't do the innovative stuff. And so you have to realize is that all this innovation that's happening in payments, you all hear about the cool stuff, but you gotta have the boring stuff that's been sitting there for 20, 30, 40 years to be able to do the cool and fun stuff. And that's where you kind of bridge the fintechs of fintech, like FIS, to those innovative startup fintechs that can ride these rails in a much more efficient way.
0: You're talking about Cash Plus, kind of your baby. What was the driving force behind starting
1: Cash Plus? It started with me and the very bad experience. Now, what happened was I I was fortunate enough to get a really great expat assignment to come over to the UK and build a credit card operation and... I'm a banker, so I know how to get a bank account. Should be no problem." and it took me six months to get a bank account. My problem is I didn't exist in the UK, so thus no bank would give me a bank account. And this is the other thing about stereotypes. People say, well, the subprime, the non-credit worthy people can't get bank accounts. Well, certainly I'm a case in point that this is a broad spectrum of individuals that cannot get bank accounts. Even today, 35% of businesses still don't get a bank account from high street banks. So my experience really was the driving force when I set up Cash Plus in a way that, wow, we can do this better. Kudos to the other digital banks out there. We've collectively, as a community, made banking better and better and better. And now, because the likes of us, Cash Plus and others, have made it so easy, there's a lot more... Dual ownership of bank accounts. You know, you departmentalize some of your banking now, where you actually have your travel and entertainment card, or you have your traditional uh, home family card, and you know, in the UK, where you have different pots. And now it's so easy to get a bank account. It gives you the opportunity to have a Starling Monzo Cash Plus card in your wallet, and you use it for different purposes. And I think that gives people a lot more choice now. But that was my founding initiative to do this. And there's still gaps in the. Overlooked sectors, both in the prime and near prime segments that we serve today. Sylvia, I see you nodding your head. Go ahead and jump in.
2: I love the story of entrepreneurialism born out of frustration. I think that that is the key thing when you're seeing your own problem and nobody's solving it. What I see a lot is fintechs coming in and grabbing a hold of a particular customer story or customer journey and getting that really, really right. And that aligns very much Rich, with what you were saying. It's really hard to do that well when you're a generalist because you're always going to be caught in the rules and it's really difficult for you to deal with exceptions versus when you're specializing and then you're hitting the mark and then you're able to provide a really, really brilliant customer experience in that particular facet. And you can have different facets of your business that you can then have a specific and very good experience
0: on. So Rich, let's go back a little bit to talking more about this frustration that created a business or started a movement really. What was that process like? What was it like actually building
1: Cash Plus? I always tell people that want to start a business, think about how hard it's gonna be and times it by 10. There are gonna be roadblocks in your way every second of every day. I spent literally a year without a job, without an income, to get Series A financing. And you know what? You hear of Ann Bowden's story. You hear of Ricky at Tandem. We all struggled. You know, No one says, hey, Rich, oh, great idea. Here's 20 million pounds, go. It just does not happen that way. I would say I had well over 100 rejections. You have to be able to handle rejections extremely well. Don't take it personally figure out why they're saying no, adjust your story and your proposition to better fit. But it's not a personal attack on you. It's you're not getting the story right. You know, whatever, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 businesses fail. And it takes a very unique discipline to basically handle the adversity and handle the negativity of what happens on a Day to day, hourly basis when you start up a business and you're an entrepreneur, and you have to have the right mindset to push beyond that to get those successes and celebrate those successes when you get them so that you can get to the other side, have that success, get the Series A, get to the first card sold, get to the first hundred accounts, get to profitability, get to break even. You know, for us, milestones like becoming a bank, all those things were huge milestones, but each one came with its challenges, frustrations, and ultimately successes.
0: Coming up with a great idea, product, or solution to a frustration is just the tip of the startup iceberg. And along the way to success, entrepreneurs will continue to face struggles time and time again. But with every no, with every technological gap or incompatibility, there comes opportunity. Opportunity to refine your sales pitch. Opportunity to tweak a technology or implement it differently. Opportunity to try harder. And it's the ability to seize on those opportunities that sets successful and unsuccessful entrepreneurs apart.
1: Be successful in whatever you do, got to have immense tenacity to do stuff. And I love the sports stories because you talk about, you know, the superstars. I mean, the real superstars. The story I really loved was Ronaldo, you know, a super football player. And I was in Madeira and the tour operator they said, Oh, I went to school with Ronaldo. And he said he was actually a really good uh, football player. But you know, we were like 12, 13 years old, and, you know, we were having all fun, and we'd go out and play a game, and he'd score like five goals, and everybody would go home, and he would spend another three hours out on the pitch practicing after he just scored five goals as a 13-year-old. He didn't go celebrate. He wanted to be better than what he did that day. And he said he was just tenacious about becoming a great football player because he was not born a great football Nobody's born great. You earn that greatness.
0: Wow, I love that. Feeling so inspired <laughs> listening to all of this. Rich, can you tell me just a little bit about – how you started, like what was the core team and what is it 17
1: years later? you got to start with people you trust. There was a core technologist that I really trusted, a core marketing person that I trusted, and a legal person that I I had worked with for many years. It's finding a founding circle of individuals that you know are just driven to succeed. And I think that's a secret to the success. So it's not just a one-person party. I would say that passion of actually trying to fix a problem, to try to change an industry perspective on how you onboard and support positive. Positively a customer and a a bank account for a customer or a business, I think was you know something that helps in the drive to be successful. And I think making sure that you have a group of individuals that are not only talented, but kind of have the same shared vision. Because typically a startup doesn't have a vision, a purpose, a mission, strategic objectives. You're out there just doing, and you just need to make sure that you fundamentally kind of fit together. And so the first year, I was the one that was kind of out there 100% of my day, and the others were still trying to make a living at another company and was ready to basically jump on this company as soon as I was able to get funding. But it did take a group of people that allowed you to celebrate successes as a group, but also commiserate failures as a group and you could feed off of people's you know support and stuff because I don't think you can do it alone. You just have to have somebody there because you do need the intellectual business support, but you also need the emotional support of driving it collectively as a team. No individual can set up a payments company these days. It's just too complex. you need subject matter experts to help you along the way.
0: Which is a perfect segue to talk about this partnership with FIS. And not to get too dramatic, but it's like a marriage, right? You're together through good and bad, for better, for worse, right? So tell me a little bit about how FIS and Cash Plus came together. What was that dating process, if you don't mind my saying, like...
1: We got met about 15 years ago. I think your analogy of it being a marriage, they have a number of capabilities that are phenomenal. They do some of that complex payment stuff. And I would say scheme compliance, MasterCard visa. A lot of people can do it, costs a lot of money. You need a lot of subject matter expertise, but you don't need to do it yourself. You got people like FIS to do it. They can be a switch for you. They can basically provide you all that heavy complex lifting so that you can basically focus in on the innovative stuff. And that's what we did. We wanted them to provide us a basic banking platform. But what we could do, to add on to it was create real time interfaces with the customer which other banks and sometimes processors weren't able to do so we married the best of both worlds great foundation from FIS great innovation and technology overlay on top of the FIS to create an end-to-end solution that no one created when we created it in 2005
2: that's always how i think of FIS as the big enabler right but i think we're that platform comes together with great ideas and a great connection with a untapped customer base or a new customer journey is where the magic happens. And then describing it as a marriage, there's always change and you need to be able to deal with that change. And there's always challenges. You need to be able to deal with those challenges and the strength of partnership comes out of how you're then able to deal with these and keep the business going. And so, you know, I can only say thank you for the for the last fifteen years, rich It's been great,, as
1: you state, it's the heavy lifting and the complexity entrepreneurs' lives are hard enough as it is, and with payments being so complex as they are, it's where f i s can provide an easier route. To get your idea to market than pr- trying to do the whole thing yourself. And I think that's where the successful marriage comes from. And again, marriages come with pain. And there's been times where, you know, we have not communicated very well to FIS in terms of our needs. And there's been times where FIS hasn't kept up with some of the technology sides. But As long as you're a client-focused organization, listens to the clients, I think you have the ability to basically make those changes. And certainly, when they see an upset client, they don't want that. They identify what is the the gap, and then they go out and fix it. They uh, are empathetic uh, to the needs, and I think that caring is something that comes through right from the top all the way down to the organization, which is a useful thing from a cultural element that I think FIS has been able to be successful with.
0: And just like marriage, it's all about... Finding the right partner, right? So for entrepreneurs out there listening, how important is it to have a partner when you're breaking into these new markets? I mean, can you go it alone?
1: In payments, not a chance. It's just too complex. There's just no way that you can do it. I think what's interesting though, and I'm not saying it's a one size fits all. I mean, if you really are into payments and you're trying to move payments from point A to point B, you need a partner. There's just no question about it. But what I like about payments is there a lot of different segments of the payments industry that you could operate in that complement the core guys like us, Cash Plus, that do move money. So open banking networks, add on KYC and KYB services that basically provide fintech services, you certainly can do it alone. So it's not basically saying you can't do it alone. All I would say is that if you're in the main Core solutions of creating or uh, providing a regulatory service of moving money from point A to point B, you need a partner. If you're providing some of the innovative complementary services to fintech, then I think you can, as long as you stay focused in what you want to get done out of it. You could do it alone.
2: One of the reasons I love being part of of payments is that there's so much codependency on each other even when you're each other's direct competitors, because it payments is a chain and it breaks on the weakest link. So you need to support each other. You need to collaborate even when you're competing, which makes it, I think, an extra interesting industry. I would say, though, you talked about complexity. I think the regulators come in across Europe with the intention of creating more simplicity but it's just becoming more and more and more complex. And I think we all have the challenge to make sure that we keep people and consumers inside the tent because some of the complexity you can hide, but when the complexity impacts the consumer, that is where it becomes painful. And again, that's where there's opportunity for fintech companies to come in and take some of that complexity away also for the consumer. So it's a really enjoyable collaborative space.
0: So unlike a lot of other industries, entrepreneurs in payments can't silo themselves and try to go it alone when trying to start something new in fintech. They need to have partners. Because as Sylvia says, the payment system is unique among all other sectors and that everyone, including the competition, needs to work together to keep the ecosystem running. And while this might come as no surprise to incumbent institutions and in financial services, for newcomers, it's probably a surprising lesson they'll have to learn, one lesson of many. So, what lessons does Rich wish he knew when he started out 17 years ago? And what advice would he give his younger self?
1: Well, learn how to communicate in very clear, Understandable ways, use a common language, understand the acronyms and get rid of them. You know, talk to the common person. You're talking to investors that typically don't know anything about payments. And even though they say they do, they really don't. So just assume zero understanding at first. I learned that because a lot of people misunderstood what my business plan was. Second, I went out call it 17, 16 years ago, to get money, I actually was looking to raise the least amount of money because the least amount of money meant the least amount of dilution to me as a founding shareholder. Not that I was greedy, but I thought I could build upon that a little bit more. The valuation element is a key issue because I went out and tried to get the minimum amount of money to make sure that my company could become profitable and then I could make a decision on it. Typically, even founders are a little bit too optimistic. So the first thing you need to do is recognize on the other side, they're going to basically have or quarter your valuation. On your side, you're confident that you can get to profitability. I would say the learning I had was you should go for as much money as you possibly can get. And I would use Starling as a great example. She was looking to get 10 to 15 million pounds to start up Starling. And she was lucky enough to find a primary investor who said, I really want to give you 65 million pounds as opposed to 15 almost seven times more than what she wanted and I don't know I think I would have said no I only want the 15 what Anne did was correct give me the 65 and in fact she needed 300 million to do what she did so at the end of the day she made the right move and I would only say if anybody offers you more money than you want take it if you think about the money that you need double it. And when you put your plan together, recognize that the investor is either going to have it or basically cut it by 75%. Those would be my tips for individuals to make sure that they're set up for success when you're getting funding. And actually, once you get the funding, you're in a much better place.
0: Excellent. So, And that sounds like both your advice to your former self, as well as parting words of wisdom for those wanting to bring a product to market. And then how do you see, I know we talked about the macroeconomic climate right now. Do you see a shift occurring? Can you give anybody out there some positive vibes as they want to create and innovate something new in this climate?
1: Yeah, I think the focus on profitability, sustainability is probably the one of the big key fundamental differences. I would not take the successes of other fintechs that have raised money successfully in the last five years as the way that you should do it in today's environment. I think it's really different. I think you do need to focus on unit economics. You need to focus on how your company is going to become profitable and how it will stay profitable and sustainable over a longer period of time and show where the growth can come post the ability to prove the sustainability of the, the business model that you have.
0: Excellent. Sylvia, do you have any words to add on to that?
2: For me, obviously, it's easy talking because I'm not an entrepreneur. I am part of a a big company, but even for big companies, it is about are you profitable? Can you show profitable growth and not just growth for the sake of growth? And I think that is something to uh, keep in mind going forward and keep a good eye out where the opportunity is. Because if you think about it, at the beginning of this year, we were still talking about what would be the impact of banking given a negative interest rate environment and how that would completely upend the way that banks built their business cases and we're now in high inflation and interest rates are rising and that happened in six months so you have to really keep an eye out on that and then get the right partners around you to steer you because the only constant is change in this world and keep finding the fun in the business which is one of of the things why it's so great to work together with somebody like rich right great energy great knowledge And sees the fun in doing the business. I think that's key. I think that's a wonderful
0: way to wrap up this episode. Talking about, again, going back to that metaphor of marriage, you know, you've been through what, 15 years together and still having fun, right? Headed for a 20, 25, 50 year, you know, let's go for the silver golden anniversary, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Find a job that you enjoy and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And, you know, luckily uh, in 30 years, I found a niche for me where I really do enjoy it. And it's not a job. It, It really is a vocation of trying to do good for the industry, good for the customer. So that would be my parting words also. And find a partner that you can really work with and it won't feel like a supplier-client relationship, it will feel like a true partnership.
0: Sylvia Mensdorf Pui is Senior Vice President of Banking and Payments for Europe at FIS. And Rich Wagner is CEO and founder of Cash Plus. That's it for today's show. Thanks for joining us for this three-part financial future special a production of Lower Street Media in collaboration with FIS. This series has been produced and edited by Ryan Sutton. Ben Cranell is our audio editor and sound designer. And I'm your host, Erin Dangler. Stay tuned, season 10 is coming soon.